Um, it goes like this. For those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Uh, but before we dive deeper into that, uh, will you join me in prayer, please? Jesus, um, I just pray that today you would show us uh, what it means that you are the God who is with us in and who is greater than and who brings us out of exile. God, just show us what that means today, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, again, uh, in shaping Scripture as we're going through this, the, the goal is to take these verses that we all know or that most of us have heard and then to get a fuller picture of, of what they are. And so it'd be a little remiss of me to not give some context into what we're doing today as we dive into Isaiah 40, especially in verse 31. Uh, so before we begin, uh, before we really start to get into the meat of today's sermon, I want us just to spend a little bit of time understanding what's going on in Isaiah 40. Uh, Isaiah 40 is the beginning of what we call Second Isaiah. Uh, and First Isaiah, the part of Isaiah that comes before Isaiah 40, the first 39 chapters, they're a little different. Uh, Isaiah 40, the second Isaiah, is a little different from first Isaiah. See, first Isaiah, those first 39 chapters uh, of the book, uh, they talk about the life and times of the prophet Isaiah. It's literally just his call to ministry, uh, how the Lord spoke to him, what he did with the messages God gave him, and how people reacted to that. And first uh, Isaiah, chapter 39, it ends with this enormous cliffhanger. Uh, Isaiah gets a word from the Lord that something's happened, and he goes and he tells uh, King Hezekiah, hey, did you do this? And Hezekiah says, yes, this king of Israel, uh, or this king of Judah, uh, the people of Israel, but Judah was specifically the country. And, and he says, okay, here's the deal. Uh, Hezekiah uh, was this great king. There were very few really great kings in Judah, in, in the people of God's history, and he was one of the really good ones. Uh, but he wasn't perfect. And he got a little overconfident and uh, made this mistake. Uh, there was a foreign king who came to Jerusalem, and uh, as Hezekiah was showing off the city, he decided instead of glorifying God and, and, and worshiping at the temple, he was going to just show off the wealth of the temple. He wanted to, to show off instead of worship with this king. And, and uh, uh, Isaiah comes into Hezekiah's room and is like, hey, do you want the good news or the bad news? And Hezekiah says, good news first. And uh, Isaiah tells him, okay, here's what the Lord's saying. Because you've done such a good job, as long as you're on the throne, things are going to be good. You have peace as long as you reign. And this guy's like, awesome. Okay, hit me with the bad news now. And he says, here's the deal. Because of what you did, because you tried to show off instead of worshiping me, you're putting your people in danger. As soon as you're off the throne, they're going to have to make some choices. And if they don't make the right choices, the king of Babylon, that king that you were showing off to, when he's older and stronger, he's going to come back after you're dead, and he's going to conquer your people, and they're all going to go into exile. And it ends with this huge cliffhanger. And then where Isaiah 40 picks up, what we find out in other books of the Bible, in Chronicles and Kings, at the beginning of Daniel, the first chapter of the book of Daniel, uh, what it says is, hey, the people didn't listen, and sure enough, they got uh, conquered by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He comes and he, he destroys the city of Jerusalem, and he takes the vast majority of God's people into exile. And where Isaiah 40 picks up it is, is, whether it's the same Isaiah or a different one, people argue 
over whether it's the same man or not. Uh, but someone is picking up where first Isaiah left off. Second Isaiah is picking up where first Isaiah leaves off and saying, hey, now that we're in exile, now that we're in the darkest night of our people's soul, now that we are in this place where no matter what we do, however well or bad, or bad we do, we're still in exile. We're still not home. Now what is God saying to us? Now that we've landed ourselves in this situation, now that other people have landed us in this situation, what do we do now? And it's really important as we begin to look at Isaiah 40, verse 31. Before we get to verse 31, it's so important we understand this. We're in 2nd Isaiah. Uh, We're in a space and a place of exile. When we talk about exile in Scripture, I'm going to make this one more quick context note, and then I really do want us to dive in. But before I do, again, I think it's so important that we talk about this. Exile in Scripture has a really specific connotation. See, it doesn't just mean something political. It doesn't just mean that someone has been forcibly removed from their home. It means that. But when we talk about exile in Scripture, it's, it's a lot like when we talk about sojourning. It's a lot like when we talk about not being at home or being enslaved. Uh, they're, they're really similar in the way they're presented over and over again in Scripture. And so whenever you hear exile, you're supposed to think of, of something that's more than just political or more than just physical. It's a spiritual and emotional and, and mental space where no matter what you do, as long as you're in that season of exile, as long as you're in that circumstance, as long as you're around those people, as long as you've got this thing going on inside of you, whatever is causing your exile, it is a mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional space where no matter how well you do, no matter how badly you do, you are not at home. It's that dark night of the soul that's slow. It's not that scary moment where everything's freaking out. It's that place where you're waking up and going to sleep over and over and over again. And no matter what you do, as long as the circumstance doesn't change, you are not going to be whole. That's what we're talking about right now in Isaiah 40. These people are in a space of exile. And now that they're in this space where no matter what they do, no matter how high they do, Uh, Some of these people, uh, some of the the Jews, while they're in exile, they become presidents. Some of them become queens. But they're still in exile. No matter how bad they are, uh, no matter how wealthy they get, no matter how much they kill it, even no matter how much they honor God, they're not going to be at home. And God is speaking to his people now, now that you're not at home, now that you're in this place of incredible discomfort, where nothing you do is going to change the discomfort. Here's my word to you. And this is how it begins. This is how God speaks to his people in exile. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, and she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There's a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The first way God begins to speak to his people Well, they're in exile. I want you all to hear this. There are a lot of voices we hear when we're in exile. 
And the first voice that God speaks, the first words he says are comfort, comfort, speak tenderly. When we're in those places of discomfort, it's really, really easy uh, to listen to, to all the voices that are screaming at us. There's a lot of voices, and the loudest ones are often not the ones that are comforting. The, the, the loudest one is not always tender. But the Lord's voice is crying out comfort, comfort. When we're in that place of discomfort, when we're in exile, the first thing we need to remember is that God is crying out comfort. He cries out, I am with you. And that's the first point. This is how God addresses his people when they're in exile. He's with you. Whatever the exile, he is with you. And then let's, let's look at how he continues to address them. He says, speak tenderly to them. And then he says this, and this might sound a little challenging to our ears, but I want us to hear it. Proclaim to her, proclaim to them, the hard service has been completed. The sins have been paid for. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That sounds kind of harsh to a lot of us. But I think it's important. I think that God told the prophet Isaiah or the writer of 2nd Isaiah, whatever prophet was prophesying. He told him to put this in there for a really specific reason. See, just like the people of Israel, uh, when we end up in situations of exile, there are normally three factors that got us there. The first is someone probably screwed us over at some point. Hezekiah caused all this. The second, of course, is that they made decisions after someone put them in that position. They caused it themselves. And the third, at some level, at some point, and God is owning up to this, at some point God let it happen. Whatever your exile, uh, and, and I'm sure for each and every one of us there's a different uh, percentage of, of which one of those three things are involved, but they're always involved. At some point, someone put you in a position of exile. At some point, you put yourself in a position of exile. At some point, God allowed you into a position of exile. And when we find ourselves in these spaces, it's so important that we hear this. First and foremost, before anything else, your sins have been forgiven. The voice of the Lord, when you are in that place of discomfort, when you're in that space of pain, he is not crying out condemnation. He is not crying out hellfire. He is crying out comfort, comfort, tenderly. Your sins have been forgiven. And we, especially in light of the cross, recognize this. On the cross, Jesus said, it is done. So remember this. When you enter into a season of exile, when you find yourself there, remember this. Your sins were already forgiven. You're not there for your sins. And you've already been brought out. You have already been brought out. And if you find yourself in a situation where someone else put you, remember the words he says after. Your service has been paid. 2 Corinthians 15, it says this. Don't grow tired in well-doing. Don't grow tired going forward in that space of exile. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's how this starts. God is with you in the exile. And then he goes on. And then he goes on. A voice is calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for your God, for he is on the move. Every mountain that seems so big, he's going to crumble. 
every valley that seems so dark, he's raising up into the light. The only question that's left for us, God is on the move, he is with us, he has a plan, and it's happening. The only question we are left with when we're in a season of exile, because our God is with us, the only question we're left with is, are we preparing for it? Are we praying, expecting that answer? Are we living with sacrifice and service, expecting and knowing that God is moving? We just can't see it yet. It's the only question we're left with. But he doesn't end there. God is with us in our exile, but but then he goes on to say this. He reminds us that God is bigger than our exile. Your God is bigger than your exile. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And then he goes on, listen to this. It seems strange, but but it makes sense. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked out the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills just in a balance? Who can fathom, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as a counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him who taught him the right way? Who was it who taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are just a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on his scales. They go on and on and on. Second Isaiah goes on and on and on for over 20 verses, just talking about how big and mighty and glorious and loving this God is, who's crying out, comfort, comfort, tender, tender. And he does that for a very important reason. See, uh, this is something that I've preached from, from the pulpit before and something I have to preach to myself. And I feel the need to preach to all of us over and over and over again. When we cry out to the Lord, it's so important to remember. When we're in our exile, it is so important to remember. We don't need to tell God how big our problems are. We need to declare to our problems how big our God is. He is bigger than whatever you are facing. He is more powerful than whoever comes against you. He is more loving than the people who have hurt you. He cares for you more than you care for yourself, more than you imagine. He loves that person who you're crying out to him for more than you do. He is bigger. We do not have to tell our God how big our problems are. We have to tell our problems how big our God is. It's why we gather together every Sunday. It's not so you can hear a a self-help speech. I'm not that good. Uh, It is so, we, we, we gather together so we can pray together. And we worship, we sing songs, not because it's fun to listen to a good concert every Sunday. It's so we can create space to remind ourselves, to declare to our problems how big and great and loving and grand and beautiful and awesome and worth it our God is. He's bigger. He's greater. And when we're in exile, when we're in that space of discomfort, when we're in that place where nothing seems to be going right, no matter how well we do, no matter how bad we do, things aren't right, we have to remember 
He's bigger. And we just keep declaring it. I, I want you all to hear this, and I want you to hear it for yourselves. This is, this is where we go to at the, towards the end of 2nd of Isaiah, towards the end of this chapter 40. I want you all to hear this. This is verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says your holy one, your set-apart one. Holy, completely other, completely bigger. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of this? He who brings out the starry host, one by one, calls forth each by name because of his power and mighty strength. Nothing is missing. Why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do we complain? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Don't you know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God. He created the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. He is bigger. He is greater. He knows. He is listening. And he is crying out, tender, tender. Comfort, comfort. I'm on the move. I am with you in your exile, and I am bigger than it. And then, then we come to the part that we're so familiar with. Then we hear him say, I will bring you through. I will bring you through. Listen to this. You've heard it multiple times, but I want you to hear it again. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, they'll renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Something really important as we look at Isaiah 30, 40, 31, as we look at where we've been coming to this entire time, it's so important y'all hear this. We hear this. I hear this. Does he say we're going to get by by the skim of our teeth? They say, yeah, God will bring us out and it'll be okay. No. He says those who trust in the Lord, they're going to be brought out of their exile in a very specific way. First and foremost, he says this, you will soar on wings like eagles. I'm going to raise you up. Even amidst the exile, I will raise you up. It's what he does for his people in exile. When they're in exile, you see Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being raised up, becoming presidents of this country, changing everything. You see Esther, a, a, a poor Jewish girl, being raised up to the queen of the Persian nation while they are in exile. And while you are in exile, remember this, he is going to raise you up. He's going to change you. And, and we say it so casually, and, and it's, it's so wrong to say this casually because there's so much pain involved. There's exile involved. But a lot of times when, when we see terrible situations, when we see exile happening in our lives, we'll, we'll try and justify it and say, well, God is going to make us stronger through this. Well, God has a plan, and he's going to make us stronger through this. It's wrong to, to say that if you're trying to blow off the terror of exile but it is totally within the mark to recognize that it will happen and that he will do it. You will be raised up on wings like eagles. You'll soar even in your exile. He doesn't stop there. 
He says, you will run and not grow weary. Later, Paul makes a reference to this in the New Testament. He says, we set the pace. We set the pace. We change the cultures we're placed in. We don't just get thrown into places and spaces and with people and in personal situations of exile. We don't get ju- just get made better through the power of the Holy Spirit in them. We also begin to change the very things that bring us into exile. We change them. They don't break us. We change them. And then he says this, and you will walk and not grow faint. In his time, in his place, you will come out and you will be whole. You will not faint. You will not pass out. You won't fail. He doesn't just bring us out of exile. He has us thrive through it. This has been really, really important uh, to me over the last week. Um, this past week, I was over at Young Life Camp up in New, uh, up in New York, Lake Champion. Um, I'm a Young Life leader uh, over at Ewing High School. Um, I go into the school and, and minister to the kids, uh, to students who would never uh, come into a church uh, to hear the gospel. And uh, that week was a week of exile for me. Um, let me explain. Uh, I love Young Life. Uh, I hated this week. Um, and let me explain that. Uh, so basically, um, over the last two weeks, we, we had about 15 kids who were going to come to camp. And I was really excited about a bunch of the kids who were going to be coming. I, I was really thrilled. We've been praying for a lot of them for a very long time. And, and, I, and I was just really excited about what the Lord was going to do. I was really ready. And then about two weeks ago, something started to happen. About every other day, a kid uh, called me or texted me, or uh, met up with me and informed me that they couldn't make it for some reason. It happened over and over and over again for two weeks' time until uh, the day before we had four kids coming. Uh, We had four leaders signed up to come. Uh, You're supposed to have one Young Life leader, approximately one Young Life leader to every three to five kids. Uh, We had four leaders coming and four kids, which is worrisome. Because uh, that's not supposed to happen. Uh, so most of us should have probably left the trip at that point, but we didn't know what to do. So we said, okay, well, we'll just one kid to every leader and we'll see what happens. The day we got there, uh, one of my kids who I was supposed to go pick up wasn't at his house. Uh, we came back uh, with the three kids that we had and we were ready to leave. And this kid shows up. He pulls up in this really nice car that I think he like, I don't know. I hope he didn't steal it. Uh, probably took it from his family. Uh, whips in just so he can get out the car, show off his new car, and wave at us and say, hey, I'm not coming. Uh, So uh, we were in this situation with four leaders, three of whom shouldn't have been there to begin with, and uh, three students. uh, And these were the three hardest-hearted students uh, that I could have possibly chosen. Uh, I just confess I was not excited they were coming. Um, And as we drove up, uh, I was driving up just asking the Lord, like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? I'm exhausted. I know what's about to happen every day of this is going to be a war. And I have three kids with four leaders. There is no reason for us to be doing this. There's no reason for me to be here. This is freaking exile. And every morning I woke up and asked the same question, God, why the heck am I here? And every day I felt that. Because my kids were just as hard-hearted as I expected. Things were just as bad as I thought they were going to be. It was just as terrible. 
as I thought it, it was going to be. In fact, in some ways it was worse. But every day, God reminded me he was going to raise me up. See, every day, um, because I had so few kids uh, who were mine, uh, there were a bunch of groups with us. Uh, one of them was from Spain, and, and they didn't have any traditional Young Life leaders with them. They weren't even really supposed to be there. It was a weird, ridiculous circumstance, and all of a sudden, 12 students from, with, with no Christian background whatsoever who spoke very so-so English all of a sudden landed in a Young Life camp in the middle of America. And there was one other leader who spoke Spanish who happened to be there who happened to have no kids. And so all of a sudden, I got to minister to these Spaniards and bless their life and, and watch God shift their hearts over the course of the week. And all of a sudden, uh, this uh, leader with no real kids, uh, and the only kids he had were driving him crazy, uh, ended up in a cabin because our group was so small with another group that was just starting up from New Jersey. And they're just starting up Young Life 30 minutes away. And their kids were, were, were amazing. And, and God began to move in their hearts. And by the end of the week, they accepted the Lord these three kids, and they're starting up Young Life 30 minutes away, so we're actually merging our club. So this whole thing happened because God is good, because he lets us run. He lets us run and not grow weary. And as we got to the end of the week, as I thought, I was just done. Uh, it was 2 a.m. the last night. God had done all these great things, even in the midst of this terrible week. And I thought, okay, finally, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to leave this place and be done. Uh, I was staying up trying to finish up these last little things. I write letters for all the students that I take on trips. And so I was trying to write letters for all my kids. And uh, as I was finishing up, I was trying to get this thing done. Someone walks into the room, a a young student who was on the work crew, who was uh, basically the staff for us, who was putting on the, the camp, walks in. And we begin to hit it off and just talk. And I'm sitting there like with my pencil literally right there like, uh-huh, uh-huh, like trying to listen to him, but really trying to write. And all of a sudden, he, he asks a question, and I bring up the fact that I was in Greek life and that it was a ministry for me in, in, in college. And he looks at me, and he stops. He starts to get tears in his eyes. And he says, I've been praying all month as I've been working at this camp because I accepted a bid to a fraternity. Actually, it was the same one that I did. And I've been praying about whether that was the right decision or not because there have been voices all month They've been telling me to get out, but I felt called to this ministry. And I'd been praying. I said, Lord, just send me one person who's done this before. And you have literally done this before. You just were the living, breathing answer to my prayer. And so I learned this week what it means when you're in a season of exile. That he raises up on wings like eagles. He lets us run and not grow weary. We walk, and we make it through. We do not faint through the finish line. And it's because we serve a God. BCC, remember this as we go out. We serve the God who is with us in exile, not crying out condemnation, crying out, it's finished. Comfort, comfort. I'm on the way. We serve the God who is bigger than our exile, We don't have to tell him how big our problems are. We tell our problems how big he is. We serve the God who brings us through. And he brings us through as he raises us up. As he makes us the force of change. As he gets us through. Not just by the skin of our teeth, but flying through. And that 
is what we mean when we say this. For those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not grow faint. Will you pray with me? Jesus, uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, that you are with us in our exiles, whether it's a week at camp, whether it's years of hard labor, whether it's uh, a relationship, wherever and however it is, God, that we are in exile, God, you are with us, Lord. We thank you that you are with us. We receive your comfort, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are bigger and greater. Show us, each and every one of us, God, and wherever we're in exile, personally, communally, Jesus, show us wherever our exiles are going on, God, how you are giving us wings, how you are helping us to run, and God, show us what it means that you will get us through the finish line. We pray it in your name. Amen.